listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to our podcast live with the ABA section of Antitrust. This is Elisa Hutnick. I am the section of Antitrust Consumer Protection Officer, and I'm the host for today's episode. So I am delighted to have joining me now Matthew Hall, solicitor from McGuire Woods in London, and we are going to be focusing on Brexit, GDPR, competition, what to expect for the road ahead, um, given all of the uh, latest breaking news and, and constant developments on this front. So I thought, Matthew, we perhaps might start with maybe a little bit of background, right? What brought us to this point in terms of Brexit, just to, to catch us up? Yes. Well, it's not often that we are in such a live situation. As you know, the negotiations have been going on for a long time between the EU and the UK. So in November 2018, the uh, UK and the EU agreed the withdrawal agreement, which is the divorce agreement, right. and also put in place a de- political declaration which would deal with the situation after the divorce agreement finished, so after the transitional period. And the idea was that the UK, under that withdrawal agreement, would exit on Friday, this Friday, the 29th of March, uh, and the transitional period in the withdrawal agreement would last until the end of next year, 2020. So 31 December 2020. The big issue is that the withdrawal agreement, so the divorce agreement, includes a backstop, which will come into place if the political declaration doesn't lead to a negotiated long-term agreement to take effect after the transitional period up to the end of 2020. So uh, the backstop is there due to all the political issues which have affected the island of Ireland, as you, as you will know about. And the idea is that there would not be a hard border on the island of Ireland. So the backstop to come into effect from 31 December 2020 would ensure that there's no hard border on the island of Ireland. The problem is that the UK cannot unilaterally exit the backstop if it comes into force. And the backstop includes provisions which in some way keep Northern Ireland separate from the rest of the United Kingdom and also put the whole of the United Kingdom into a customs union with the EU. And the what we call the arch-Brexiteers, so the most keen uh, levers, uh, the most fervent levers, don't find those issues currently acceptable because they want much more of a clean break. And therefore, Prime Minister May has not been able to get the withdrawal agreement, including the backstop and the related political declaration, through Parliament, despite two attempts so far to do so. So that's where we are. And so for those who are hearing Brexit constantly in the headlines and um, perhaps the story even changing by the hour, yeah. um, thinking ahead, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, where, where are we right now that at least over this week and the next you know, few days, do you think the most pivotal decisions have to be made and what those decisions and the implications are? Well, I think we need to back up just a bit to make sure we understand where we are now, because... As you know, uh, as I just mentioned, 29 March 2019, i.e. this Friday, has been ever since the original notice to leave was given back in March 2017, has been the date on which the UK will leave. And I actually remember doing uh, a, a program on Brexit and competition law here at the spring meeting 
which I moderated two years ago on 27 March 2019 when the notice was given. So things, uh, and it's actually fair to say that not much has changed since then. <laughs> Happy anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So we need to back up a bit. And what uh, happened last week was that um, the UK and the EU agreed in an extension to that 29 March 2019 date. So that is no longer the date. There are two now two dates, so it's even more confusing than it was. The first date is actually the later date, 22nd May 2019. If the withdrawal agreement that I was just talking about and its related political declaration for the long-term agreement and the backstop, which is included in the withdrawal agreement, is passed by the UK Parliament this week, then the leaving date will be 22 May. Okay, so May 22nd if there's an agreement this week. Exactly. So if Prime Minister May manages on her third attempt to get the withdrawal agreement, including the backstop and the related political declaration through Parliament, 22 May is the day. And do we think, I know you're going to give more context there, but certainly the third time with the same proposal for the same audience does not seem all that realistic of of passage. Well, that would seem to be the logical point of view. However, this is not a logical process, as you know. Excellent point. And in fact, things are changing on the ground more or less as we speak here on Wednesday, two days before the vote has to take place in order to extend to 22nd May. And it seems that the arch-Brexiteers, the most fervent leavers, who I mentioned, are coming round to Prime Minister May's point of view because they are concerned that if they don't pass the withdrawal agreement, including the backstop and the political declaration relating to the long-term agreement, then there is a risk that Brexit will not happen at all. And that would be their nightmare Ah, scenario. Right. Right. So they are slowly, it seems, moving towards her position. The big factor to note is that the, the DUP, which is a Northern Ireland political party, who are very keen on the UK Union, so they're, they're very worried about Northern Ireland being separate from the rest of the UK, are really the swing voters here. So if they jump to decide to support her withdrawal agreement, then it seems likely that it will pass. Reading the press uh, and what you can and see in blogs and what have you, it seems that there are quite a few of the leavers who are the arch Brexiteers who are now moving towards her position. So you said, what is the most likely result? If I had to bet, I would say that it seems quite likely that she will actually get her withdrawal agreement through uh, this week, and therefore 22 May would be the day. So you mentioned we have path A, which yep. is decision if we get agreement support for, for May's withdrawal agreement. That is the date to consider. That's the date to focus on. Yep. But there's a path B if that doesn't work. So can you tell us a bit yep. about path B? Exactly. As I mentioned last week, faced with the imminence of 29 um, March 2019, The UK and the EU agreed two paths forward. One is the path we were just discussing, 22 May, if the withdrawal agreement is passed this week in Parliament, UK Parliament. If the withdrawal agreement, including the backstop and the long-term political declaration, or the political declaration leading to the long-term agreement, is not passed, 
or is in fact not voted on this week, because that's yet another twist, which we can discuss if you like. But it may, may be that that's not actually allowed to be voted on. But if it's not voted on or is voted down this week, then the withdrawal day is actually earlier, and it's the 12th of April, 2019. And that is the other route, that is route B, um, agreed between the UK and the EU uh, last week. And under that scenario, if we're going down route B, as I say, 12 April 2019 is the day. And before that day, the EU, EU has effectively told the UK, you must come forward with some proposal. So unknown proposal. If you're path B, yeah. we, there is still a proposal to be put forward. Would, would we know about that this week? Yes, that is another interesting twist. So the UK, EU has told the UK, effectively, UK is now a supplicant in this process. It's told the UK, you must come forward with a proposal before 12 April. So the question, as you rightly say, is what is that proposal going to be? And the other key matter which is happening this week in Parliament, actually today, this afternoon, Wednesday, 27 March 2019, is votes in Parliament on the way forward. So as in the US, there is normally a distinction between the executive branch, i.e. Mrs. May's government and her cabinet, and Parliament, the legislature. But in this scenario, the legislature has got so annoyed, fed up, whatever you want to call it, that they have decided that they need to, the Parliament, House of Commons, needs to take some kind of role in this process and not just vote on proposals put to them by the executive branch, uh, Mrs. May's government and cabinet. So this today, starting today on Wednesday, uh, 27 March 2019, the UK Parliament will be voting on a series of proposals designed to indicate to the Prime Minister and ultimately to the EU the EU27 to the other side of the negotiation, what proposal might be acceptable in the case of uh, Route B. So if the withdrawal agreement is voted down or is not voted on, what the proposal will be. So um, that is the other key thing this happening this week starting today. So a lot of uncertainty. <laughs> yes. For, for those who perhaps say there's this is such a roller coaster, I'm just going to pay attention to what happens Friday, and have a set certain path. What would you anticipate? And, and really, with our crystal ball, what is a practical thing to focus on for companies who are evaluating their competition considerations and risks, as well as data protection? What to plan for, depending on path A, path B, all this uncertainty. Is there anything companies should be doing differently? Will there need to be a radical kind of move to the right or the left or change current processes? What kind of from that practical perspective, what to do starting next week really for companies? Well, I think it's not too late, but it's obviously very late in the day for companies to be doing their contingency planning. Contingency planning should have been going on for a long time. Although, of course, companies have a lot of other things to think about, and this may not be top of the list. And it also depends a lot on the company. I think that, as I said earlier, I think the most likely result, as things stand, Wednesday morning or afternoon in, in London, 
is that the withdrawal agreement will be passed, in which case the exit will take place on the 22nd of May in an orderly fashion. And we can talk about what the withdrawal agreement, which then includes the transition period, willing will provide for. So I think that's the most likely result. But if I were in a company or running a company which is impacted by Brexit, so in other words, if you're looking at GDPR, if you have data flows into the UK or out of the UK or on the competition side, well, let's look at GDPR. Let's look at the the data side first. But um, I think if I were running a company which might be affected by Brexit because there are data flows into or out of the UK, particularly from the EU, then I would still be planning for a, or at least contingency planning for a no-deal Brexit. And that could happen, as we've been discussing, as early, early as 12 April, although I think that's not the most likely result. And that's the worst-case scenario. So you need to be worse planning for the worst-case right. scenario. Right. So, so in that case, there would be standard contractual clauses. You'd need to rely on one of the other approved meso- methods for data flow to the EU. Right. So let's look at the worst-case scenario. The worst-case scenario on the data side is that there is no deal, that withdrawal agreement is voted down or not voted on at all, and there's, a, there's a, therefore a no-deal exit on the 12th of April because there's no other proposal in place. So that means the UK immediately becomes a third country in the eyes of the EU. So on on the data flow side, there are a number of scenarios to look at. The UK has said that um, data flowing from the UK to the EEA will continue or can continue as it does now because the UK will recognize the EU or, and the EEA states as having an adequate level of protection on a transitional on basis. On a transitional basis. So there's right. not an urgent need to change something. There is time to then come up with that ba- the backstop, so to speak, for right. data transfer. your own backstop. That's Well, that's data going from the UK into the EEA. In relation to data going from the UK into non-EEA countries, again, there is not an immediate issue, even in the worst-case scenario, because the UK has said that it will recognise existing adequate adequacy decisions in relation to third countries. So, for example... So, status quo. The status quo. Right. For those third countries, non-EEA. The more difficult situation would be data coming into the UK from the From the EU. EU. Right. right, exactly, in a no-deal scenario. Right, and then it's essentially the UK is in the same position perhaps the United States is, right, yeah. in terms of how to treat and protect that data. Right, exactly. So you need to, so the, the, in the absence of an adequacy decision in place on the 12th of April, which won't be there, companies need to think about their alternatives. Of course, the obligation will be on data uh, providers or controllers in the EU who are sending the data to the UK. To the the UK. obligation is on them. Right, but, of course, companies want to make sure that those controllers are compliant, so they need to think about how the data, the, the ways in which data coming into the UK from the EU can be legally provided to them. So then you're looking at putting in place standard contractual clauses or corporate rules allowing data to continue to flow from the remaining EU into the UK So in the no-deal scenario. And the no-deal scenario. So if there's one takeaway thing that you would urge people to look at and consider 
given this uncertain time, what, what would you suggest? Well, on the data side, I would say you need to plan for the worst case and look at whether you're getting data coming from the EU into the UK and how that can be uh, suitably um, dealt with. The other main thing is that if you are a UK company trading or, pr or processing data in the EU, you may need immediately on, on a no-deal exit on the 12th of April to have a representative in the EU because uh, at the moment, of course, you don't need to have that, but you would need to have that as a third country provider in the EU. So those are two, two, the main two things, I would say, that need to be looked at immediately. How your data comes into the UK from the EU and putting in place a representative in the EU27. Well, thank you so much. It looks like we've reached the end of our program, but I want to thank Matthew Hall for joining us and giving us those insights. If our listeners have questions or wish to follow up with you, what would be the best way for them to reach you? I'm uh, at McGuire Woods in London with my email on the, on, the, on, the, on the website, Matthew Hall, and I'd be delighted to um, talk to or communicate with anyone that way. Fabulous. Well, this concludes another podcast with the ABA section of Antitrust. If you like what you heard, please join us in person at some of our upcoming conferences, like the spring meeting. Details are available at ambar.org slash antitrust. I'm Elisa Hutnick, and until next time, thank you so much for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.